0: Bringing you the truth behind the news. Welcome to The New American.
1: Welcome everyone, I'm Paul Dragu. We're glad you can join us. Last night in New York, they held a special election to replace expelled Congressman George Santos. The result will now make it even more difficult for House Republicans to push forward their agendas. Also, the U.S. Senate worked long and hard to craft and then pass a bill that funds foreign wars. Some Republicans, however, can't help but notice the absurdity of prioritizing other countries that have been invaded, but not our own. We have those stories coming up, plus a conversation with the CEO of the John Birch Society, Bill Hahn. But first, if there is anyone who deserves to be impeached, it's Alejandro Mayorkas. For average Americans, Joe Biden's ascension to the presidency was the collective equivalent of breaking down in the middle of the night in a bad neighborhood during a thunderstorm. And to make it all worse, we only broke down because someone loosened the tire lug nuts. One of the many casualties of a Biden administration is its secretary of the Department of Homeland Security, Mayorkas. This guy has been in charge of the country's border, and he's managed to foster the most chaotic, out-of-control, and lethal border mess in American history. Millions of migrants have illegally entered under Mayorkas' tenure. Migrants are overwhelming cities from coast to coast. It's gotten so bad that officials of multiple cities are asking residents to take migrants into their homes. And it seems like every month, another record for border encounters is set. In December, Border Patrol processed over 300,000 migrants, breaking the previous record. So it makes sense that Republicans would get the bright idea of impeaching this guy. Yesterday, they finally made it happen. House Republicans impeached Mayorkas by the thinnest margin possible, 214 to 213 has becomes the first sitting cabinet official in history, in U.S. history, to be impeached. It's quite the achievement. This makes up for last week's failed impeachment attempt when Republicans Ken Buck of Colorado, Mike Gallagher of Wisconsin, and Tom McClintock of California opposed the measure. Those same people voted against impeachment this time as well. In a Wall Street Journal op-ed, Gallagher made the slippery slope argument. He said the bar for impeachment had not been achieved and going forward it would lead to perpetual impeachment. His surprising no vote ignited quite the backlash from his constituents who gave him an earful. And as it just so happened, before the week was over, Gallagher announced he would not be running for re-election. Yesterday's impeachment was possible thanks to the return of House Majority Leader Steve Scalise of Louisiana. Scalise missed last week's vote because he was having cancer treatment. In a statement addressing the impeachment, Speaker Mike Johnson said, from his first day in office, Majority is willfully and consistently refused to comply with federal immigration laws, fueling the worst border catastrophe in American history. As for Georgia's Marjorie Taylor Greene, whose doggedness brought this impeachment about, here is her reaction.
2: I'm very thankful to our Republican conference for finally working together and standing with the American people to send the message to the Biden administration that it's our border that matters, not other countries' borders, our border matters. And finally, we've held Alejandro Mayorkas accountable for his willful and, and betrayal of the American people and breaking federal immigration laws. And I'm, I'm very grateful that we were able to get this done with a razor thin majority. I think this also sends a message to America that Republicans can get our job done when we work together and do what's important and what the American people want us to do. What's your message
1: to the
3: Senate? You're going to be one of the impeachment managers as you go over there and there's talk of them trying to short-circuit a trial with a motion to dismiss or something like that. What's your message?
2: My message to the Senate is they should look at the polling and they know that our border security is the number one issue in every single campaign, in every single state, every single city, and every single community. And whether it's New York City, Chicago, Atlanta, whether it's California or any other state in the country, it's the fact that millions and millions of migrants have been brought illegally into our country, and the American people are being forced to pay for them. They better pay attention to the American people and how they feel, and then they need to read our articles of impeachment. We have six pages of Alejandro breaking federal immigration laws. I would advise them to get well-versed in the laws that he broke and understand that the people that voted them into office and the oath of office that they took to swearing an oath to the American people and to our country is the oath that they need to remember and then they need to take this very seriously.
1: So join me to discuss today's stories is Editor-in-Chief of the New American Magazine, Gary Benoit, and Executive Senior Editor, Steve Bonta. Okay, guys, so it, 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 I should probably point out first that this is obviously going to go to the Senate, and it has very little chance of going anywhere. Uh, MTG was was addressing that. Steve, I want to go to you first. You were pretty hard on the Republicans last time. I think we all were, obviously. Uh, we we had said something along the lines that there they go again being that good at what they do best, which is being weak. Um, how, do, how does this affect your view on Republicans now? I mean, they made it by the slimmest of margins, but they went at it. I thought they were pretty dogged. What is your take?
4: Well, it doesn't really affect my view overall, but I mean, kudos to them for getting this across the finish line. And and it's not that there's no little chance. There's no chance that anything will happen in, in, the, in the Senate. Senate and, yeah. and the reason is this. I mean, we don't like to sound partisan here, but there is a clear divide between the often feckless but nevertheless often well-meaning Republicans who at Mm -hmm. least sometimes... And semi-principled. Well, that's what I'm getting to. Sometimes purport to place principle above power. The Democrats increasingly have congealed into this entity in which power is always the paramount consideration. Mm -hmm. Principle does not matter. This is the reason that in all all the Democrats that have been, of course, inundating the, the airwaves with their opinions about what happened and why... Their take is always this is cynical politics. Yes, nothing more. Because of course That's they, the they, they know they that, if, they that, that when they're in the driver's seat, it's always driven by cynical political considerations first and foremost. Not to say that that doesn't also have have something to do with the Republican calculus. Certainly among the, the Rhino faction, which obviously is much more significant in the Senate. But uh, there, you know, I, I don't think that the bona fides and sincerity of someone like Marjorie Taylor Greene right or wrong, though she may be on given issues, can be impeached. I don't think that her what what really starts a one person crusade to get to hold this guy accountable via apparently the only instrumentality available at this point? The Supreme Court obviously is not going to do anything about it. The court mm-hmm. system in general um, is anything other than principled on her part. I don't think it's grandstanding. I don't think it's posturing. Yeah. I think that you know obviously it is political in the sense that everything that happens in Capitol Hill is political. But it's being driven by this principle that you know we cannot allow our country to to be sabotaged in such an egregious and blatant manner.
1: Yeah, and this it's so obvious what's happening and it's such a blatant violation and and obviously Republicans they argue that the law is being flouted and you know I think it was uh what they say there's like six or eight ways that that Alejandro Mayorkas is in fact violating the law which goes back to that whole slippery slope argument. I just don't see it. And like you said, uh, Democrats are using, they have the cynical outlook because I think they're projecting. Gary, what do you make of all this?
5: Well, I agree with Steve. And uh, I would add the fact that when you look at the Democrats, there was not a single Democrat, either this time or the initial time when they tried to impeach Mayorkas, Mm -hmm. who voted for impeachment. Without exception, all of them voted against it. And how can that be except that they are totally ignoring principle? because when you look at the articles of impeachment, there's no one. It, it's whatsoever. so obvious that he needs to be impeached because he's thumbing his nose at the laws of the United States. He's lying to Congress uh, when he has testified. Yeah. claiming that they uh, you know that the border is secure when everybody knows it, it's not. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's orchestrating this invasion of uh, America and not a sing- single Democrat. Is able to put aside a partisan politics you know to impeach the, this guy? Right.
1: And what makes that very interesting is, is the loudest cries, some of the loudest cries are coming from Democrat-run cities. Of right. course, you got New York City. You got Chicago. Uh, you have Boston. They're all asking people to take migrants in. It's like there's such a disconnect. I mean, is, is the herd instinct that strong, Steve? It's, it obviously seems no to be. the will
4: to power is that strong yeah, the, the fundamental <laughs> irrationality of power these same cities of course are the ones that branded themselves sanctuary cities back when wicked orange man was in charge uh, and uh, you know and, and said oh you know send them all here well, we'll, well now that they're actually being sent there in droves they're suddenly oh wait a minute you know we got a problem here Twofold. Number one, pragmatically, they're realizing that, you know, we really can't take care of all these people at our airports and bus stations and, and, and wherever they put them, schools. schools. Okay? Yeah, and all this sort of thing. It, it's literally wrecking their societies. And and, and number two, the, the many of their constituencies, the blacks, for example, are just in open revolt now because they realize that this also means that all of the, you know, the, that they're going to, these people are getting preferential treatment. Yeah. They're going to start getting government handouts and all this. Yeah. And of course, there's a terrorist too, because obviously a certain number are.
1: Yeah, we haven't even seen the results of that catastrophic uh, deal that's gonna happen there. New York special election results cuts into the GOP's already thin majority. That's next. In
0: 1988, the John Birch Society produced a documentary so predictive, it's as though they had a time machine. Out of Control, Immigration Invasion was produced and hosted by investigative reporter William F. Jasper and looks at the growing problem of unrestricted illegal immigration that, in 1988, already saw upwards of 10 to 20 million illegal aliens within the borders of the U.S. Unknown agents from around the world using the southern border as easy entry. Certainly some are innocent families escaping hardship, but also certainly some are criminals, potentially terrorists. Is it not appropriate that there be some criteria for the entry of any sovereign nation? Why should the US be different than Canada, Germany, Russia, Japan, or every other country on the planet? Out of control, immigration invasion. Watch this time capsule of prescient wisdom at the slash out of control.
1: Folks, The New American will be at CPAC next week, and we'll be bringing you exclusive interviews and news right from the event in Washington, D.C. I'll be there along with my colleague, TNA senior editor Veronica Karolinko, and we're going to talk to some of the most important people in GOP politics. So make sure to tune in to thenewamerican.com next week for exclusive TNA coverage of CPAC. The razor-thin margin between the Republicans and Democrats in the U.S. House of Representatives is now going to be even thinner. On Tuesday, Democrat Thomas Swazi defeated Republican Mozzie Pillup in a special election for the seat that was left vacant after disgraced Republican Congressman George Santos was expelled. Swazi had represented the same congressional district before, from 2017 to 2022. During that time, he garnered a dismal lifetime score of 11% in the New Americans Freedom Index, which rates how well or badly every congressional member adheres to the U.S. Constitution. By comparison, Santos' Freedom Index score was 75% during his one year in Congress. Some observers wonder if the race between Swazi and Pillup signals what we can expect in the coming November congressional elections. The verdict, according to such observers, is that the voters are rejecting the Republicans. Yet the district, located in western Long Island, is hardly a bastion of Republican conservatism. And the defeated Republican candidate, Mazzi Pillup is hardly a conservative. Here she is describing her position on abortion during a debate with Swazi before the special election.
0: Although I'm a mother of seven children,
1: I think when it comes to abortion, every woman should have that choice to make that decision. I chose to be a mother of seven children. That was my choice. I'm not going to force my own belief to any woman. Therefore, I'm not going to support national abortion ban. Therefore, I'm not going to risk women's rights. On the other hand, Swazi's abortion position, unsurprisingly, is pro-choice. That means that he believes a pregnant mother should be able to kill her unborn child in the womb. With Swazi back in the house, the makeup of that body becomes 219 Republicans and 213 Democrats, a six-vote margin. All right, gentlemen, so there's a lot lot of implications here. Obviously, we mentioned uh, the last one. Was it a miracle that Santos, someone like Santos won in the first place? What do you think, Gary? (laughs) <laughs>
5: it, it does seem quite miraculous because we're talking about a very liberal area yeah. of long island and and part of it, uh, I believe does include uh, uh, New York City. that district uh, the has, part of New York City uh, uh, that would be in Long Island.
1: Yeah, that district has a proportionally like a disproportionate amount of democratic voters to Republicans, like registered. Right. so it's, yeah, that's why I brought that up.. Go.
5: but. Uh, but anyway, I, I think it's important to point out that you can't just look at it from the point of view of Republican versus Democrat, mm-hmm. because you look at this lady, uh, uh, Mazie Pillup. Uh, my goodness, uh, could you vote for her? Um, I, I could not vote for her. Yeah. Uh, I cannot, in conscience, vote for anybody who supports uh, abortion. Yeah. Yeah. Well. And, and so uh, what you're
1: talking about is Tweedledee, Tweedledum. Well, she's obviously trying to to straddle that line there because the Dem- uh, Republicans are the the message is that the 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 abortion angle is bad for us. So she's she's clearly saying it's like, look, I, I I'm anti-abortion, but uh, you know, I I would never tell women what to do. But at the same time, when it comes to the border, that was kind of the stance they she took. She tried to to uh to to get on the border. Sure. She tried to use that issue to propel her to. Uh, to victory there, yeah, but it doesn't work. What if she were to say well am I'm, I'm anti
5: theft, but if somebody else wants to steal that 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 is that person's personal morality, and that's okay, yeah, or am I anti murder, but if somebody else wants to what, be a gang banner and go after another gang and yeah. uh just uh, you know kill a lot of people, well, that's okay because that's his personal morality. I'm not going to tell him uh, what his morality should be, and it's the same thing with abortion. Why is it just because the human being is in the womb that it's okay to kill that uh, uh, that baby?
1: Well, it's not. Obviously, it's not. Uh, what is your take on this, uh, Steve?
4: Well, a couple of things. I've never been a particular fan of George Santos, and I think you know if there's a commonality between between both Santos and Pillup, it, it's to show how far the Overton window on these moral issues has shifted. Just in the last 10, 20 years. So when Santos was elected, he was initially ballyhooed by the established media because he was the first ever openly homosexual Republican, Republican electee mm-hmm. okay, at, at the national level. Okay, so that was a big deal. And needless to say, that was a, you know, a, big, a big warning sign. I was not surprised that he turned out to be pretty much a creepy little guy yeah. in terms yeah. of his, his, his personal well, conduct. Openly homosexual. Hmm?
5: Openly homosexual. Well, right, exactly. Right. So so so, so there was a that. congressman and, and I can't remember his name, but a congressman in uh, Maryland uh, many years ago who was discovered to be a homosexual and he was a Republican and uh, of course at that time that was considered uh, shameful. But yeah. the oh, and not anymore, all way past that. Uh was openly homosexual. Well, and
4: quite a number you know, quite a number besides that, you know, there are quite a number of very prominent conservative pundits now. Who I won't name them by names, but I'm sure some of our listeners will be familiar with some who are openly homosexual as well. They don't necessarily promote it, mm-hmm. but neither do they shy away from acknowledging you know, who they are. And so, so there's that, and that's something that would have been unthinkable 15, 20 years ago. Um, then the other thing is, of course, it wasn't so very long ago that so-called pro-choice, pro-abortion Republicans were considered to be rather exceptional. And generally, were, were, we're ultra-liberal Republicans elected somehow from a place like Manhattan or something like that, you know. But in, in, in the main, Republicans were understood to be the party of pro-life. Yeah, and that is no longer the case either. Although that moiety of Republicans who are pro-life are perhaps more vociferous, more committed, and more effective yeah. than they were. You know, a generation ago, but it's by no means uncommon for Republicans, and and so that's considered mainstream. So, if you know, if a Republican now openly and apologetically says, "I'm pro-life from conception onward," or something to that effect, oh, you're an extremist. Mm -hmm. And whereas twenty years ago would have been, well, yeah, that's the way the Republicans think. You're wrong. We just, you know, I mean, the the liberal media would have disavowed it, but wouldn't have painted them in such stark terms. But today, to be pro-life at all is to be extremist. Whereas this this lady. Uh, pillup you know, is is squarely in the center of uh, the Overton window, at least as far as oh, yeah, yeah. the so-called right. conservative. are It's obviously are strategic.
1: Concerned. Now, I, I do want to bring that, there is something, there is a significance, well, I don't know how significant it is, but we know that there's a, a segment of the population that is uh, socially very liberal, but at the same time, when it comes to fiscal policy, they are... Uh, they are conservative in a way, and in a way they feel like they have no place. Uh, I mean, when I worked in Atlanta, I worked in the restaurant business, I met a lot of people, and I met a lot of people who were gay, but they said, look, I'm a homosexual, but I, I, I appreciate f- uh, fiscal responsibility, and they're kind of in a tough space. I don't know what to make of that. Uh, we obviously, uh, I personally don't agree with that lifestyle, but it's, it's going to be interesting to see in the future what becomes of that demographic, where, where are they going to go?
4: Well, if that's a rhetorical question, I think, I think such exceptional individuals are exceptional. In general, people who choose to live their lives in open defiance of moral law tend to incline more towards what we would call the left. Right. I mean, the very notion of people say, oh, well, the word left wing comes from, you know, the people who sat on the left in the original French parliament. Well, no, actually, it has a broader symbolic portent akin to the notion of the left-hand path, which has always been this term that signifies people who are consciously in a state of rebellion against established norms, specifically moral and religious norms. That's mm-hmm. what a left-hand path religion is, like yeah. Satanism or something like that. Um, and so, so it's not an, it's not an accident that the people who are openly arrayed against what we like to call traditional values tend to self-identify as leftists though they would most of them feign vociferously disagree with what i just said they're they but they're not necessarily in control of themselves that's why they do this that's why they they they, they cluster and identify with these sorts of movements. And that's why they're so mercurial also. Every time some new, you know, most of them today will say, well, you know, I would never, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm for, for open homosexual relations, but I would never countenance pedophilia. Oh, yeah, we'll see where they are 20 years from well, now. Well, you
5: had mentioned earlier, Paul, you know, uh, rhetorically, uh, where are they going to go? And one place they could go is to turn their lives around, and it does happen. And, of course, the uh, best example I could think of would be St. Paul. Uh, he got knocked off his high horse, so to speak and uh, changed
1: his ways. <laughs> well, there's going to be a lot of people that are going to have to fall off horses they don't have, yeah. I suppose. You know. But I, no, I think it is legitimate. And uh, we'll, we'll see. Uh, uh, we need a reversal of, of the moral devaluation in this nation. And, and this could turn into a big, big conversation, obviously. But thank you, guys. Next up, the Senate just passed a bill allocating billions of dollars so foreign countries can defend their borders. But there's nothing in there that addresses the invasion on our own border.
0: Hey, America. How tired are you of mainstream corporate media's biased narratives and manipulated news? Their dishonesty and attempts to influence this generation have been exposed, put on display for anyone who's even half paying attention. But the new American magazine has been an honest source of news and commentary for over 50 years. This is your opportunity to receive the stalwart of principled journalism at a deep discount. Picture a beautifully published magazine arriving at your doorstep twice a month, packed with insightful stories written with integrity. It's also available digitally on the New American's mobile app. Get up to speed with intelligent coverage from a freedom perspective. Right now, for a limited time, the New American is available to radio listeners at a 25% discount on a new subscription. Visit thenewamerican.com radio25 and receive 25% off. Subscribe today at the newamerican.com/radio25
2: The
1: New American has just released our latest bookazine, a collection of articles on self-reliance. It's called Self-Reliance: Foundation of Freedom. Without individual responsibility and without the ability to take care of ourselves without government help, we cannot be free. In this polished collector's edition, we have articles on a number of important topics, including the self-sufficiency of the founders preparing for a worst case scenario, firearm self-reliance, building a wood shack, and the importance of community among many other topics. Now the authors of the articles are experts in their fields. We encourage you to get a copy. You can order your copy at thenewamerican.com forward slash shop, or you can call our office at 800-727-8783. However you do it, make sure you get your copy of Self Reliance the foundation of freedom. Yesterday, the Senate passed a $95 billion defense bill that it then sent to the House. It allocates $60 billion for Ukraine, $14 billion for Israel, and $5 billion to Taiwan. 22 Republicans, including Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell, joined 46 Democratic senators in support of the bill. The bill includes zero provisions for American defense other than replenishing stockpiles of weapons drawn down by aid to Ukraine. Furthermore, it does nothing to secure the border. House Speaker Mike Johnson, who actually supports aid to Ukraine, has already declared the bill dead on arrival. He refuses to allow it on the floor without real provisions for border security. Many other House Republicans have been vocal in their opposition to the measure, including Texas's Chip Roy.
6: Well, first of all, I think I might submit a bill pretty soon that will rename Texas to Ukraine. Then maybe this administration oh and even even senators will focus on now securing the border. It of the United might take States. that. I mean, look, I've never seen the nursing home known as the United States Senate work harder than when it comes to spending the American people's money for foreign wars. That's what's going on here. And by the way. Is there anything more cynical than having Republicans sitting around defending their vote to send $60 billion to Ukraine than saying that will help our defense industrial base, that that will help American businesses? Since when do we have economic development that is being driven by, by funding war, overseas. That's what's happening in the U.S. Senate, because anybody that's sane and sees what's happening at our southern border would know that you cannot fund foreign wars while our border is wide open and exposed to criminals and lawlessness and terrorists that are coming across the border.
1: Democrats and some GOP supporters in the House are now considering a discharge petition. This would force the measure to the floor for a vote over the objections of House leadership, which would require 218 votes. Roughly 210 votes would appear to be available for such a measure, although some Democrats are now balking at supporting a measure that would further fund Israel's war in Gaza. All right, guys, things are getting really interesting. Now, I'm going to play the Democrat here, and I'm going to tell you right away what they're going to say and what they're probably already saying. We tried passing a border bill. You guys wanted nothing to do about it, the Langford bill. It was great. It was awesome. You guys didn't want it, so now we're going to move on. What do you guys say to that?
4: Well... (laughs) First of all, I would just point out the irony. I I don't think Chip Roy himself would appreciate this perhaps, but changing the name of Texas to Ukraine is not entirely – off the table because Ukraine, <laughs> Ukraine actually means on the border or on there the you edge. Go. So, it, so would it, actually, it would be geographically apt to describe Texas. It would just be know. a
1: translation. It uh, would be. That's yeah. right.
4: Te- I'm not sure what Texas means, but it doesn't mean that. Yeah. So in any event, uh, but believing that aside, yes, it's the obvious rhetorical riposte that they're going to come up with. That, well, you know, we just sent you this bill yeah. and you didn't want to have anything because you said it. Well, you know, it was and this is the best thing ever. And th- this is, this I think points up the issue with the fact that that we have a lot of low information people in the electorate, not I don't want to sound snobby or whatever, but un, but but unfortunately, when the Democrats can make these ludicrous claims, and the fact that anyone believes them, the fact that anyone believes them, it, well, it's ascribable. The fact that people don't not only don't read these pieces of legislation, who has time for that, but don't really delve into it at all to see, you know, if they did, they would see that in fact this so-called border legislation that was sent. By the Senate and was promptly declared dead on arrival. Was done so <laughs> because it did precisely the opposite yeah. of what it purported to do, and 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 moreover, it was designed to lock in place legally against the possibility that Trump might get reelected to lock in place the current policies, and to and to fur, and to further impa- you know empower Mayorkas in the in, in, you know in the borderline insanity that he's been engaged with. Yeah, you know, and and so so it wasn't what it purported to be. And hopefully, you know, people who are more articulate on this than I am will publicly and plausibly call out the Democrats and say, you liars. Yeah, Yeah, you sent a bill. You called it. You know, border, a border security you know, bill, not. but it was anything but. That's why we it rejected is, it. It is, a, and 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 we're and we're going to continue to reject it until you give us a meaningful measure that will commit you mm-hmm. to something, uh, some semblance of uh, the programs that were in, in, in instituted by Trump. Okay, that we would like to go back to, like remain in Mexico and yeah. so forth. Until you commit yourselves to that, yeah, you know, sign on the dotted line. You know, then maybe we'll talk about Ukraine and Taiwan and some of these other issues. This is,
1: this is beyond disingenuous, like, like Steve has said. I mean, they're, they're blatantly lying. That's what they're doing. They're telling right. the people there's a border security, and it's quite the opposite. It legalizes the invasion. And it's obvious,
5: I think, right on the surface, without even delving into the bill, because it's based on the false premise that what is lacking is legislation. Oh, my goodness, we don't have the legislation that we need to secure the border. Therefore, we have to pass this legislation. Yes, That's ignoring the fact that the legislation, the laws are already in place. It's just a matter of enforcing them. Yeah. Why was Trump able to secure the border to the extent that he was without this legislation that the Democrats say they need in order mm. to
1: secure the border. He's a miracle worker, Gary. No, no, you're absolutely (laughs) right. Because And the Republicans have pointed out, in the way they're speaking out of both sides of their mouth, because in one way, they they said this. Speaker Johnson, as you have heard, he said, this is not a border bill. But on the other hand, earlier on, they'd rolled out a border bill, that being HR2. So on one hand, they're touting a bill. And on the other hand, they're saying, we don't need a bill because Joe Biden has all the power to
4: to secure the border. What do you think, Steve? Well, I I just want to go in a slightly different direction Okay. And this, this is because this is something that, that needs to be brought up and never is, and that is that it is true that in its pristinity, the American Republic had basically open borders. Okay, the first people don't realize this. There was no legislation, you know, emanating from Congress regarding the subject of immigration at all until 1819. Okay, that was the Steerage Act, and all the Steerage Act required was the very reasonable thing that every boat coming in. You know, from 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 destinations overseas, needed to furnish to government authorities a list of the names of all the people on board, so that government could essentially keep track of who was entering the United States. Yes, there was no sentiment that well, and we should debar them. That came actually much later. It wasn't until the 1880s that we started passing laws, initially targeting Chinese immigrants, and then moving on, and you know, the Eastern sort of, Europeans. Well, I mean, we, we idealized, point. for example, the Ellis Island situation, where you had more or less unrestrained but controlled immigration where people were tested to see if they were communists or uh, a as they used to say, or had a disease like Mm -hmm. tuberculosis. And if they didn't, then they were allowed to come to the United States. And that's kind of set forth as the the, the normative Mm. ideal that we should strive for. It would be far superior to what we have now, to be sure. Here's the thing, though, the real reason. The reason Americans didn't fear the specter of illegal immigrants was that prior to probably the 1930s, 1940s, when we erected this enormous welfare state, there was zero Oh, incentive yeah. for non productive and criminally minded yes. aliens to come to the eyes. Of. There were a few. I mean, you know, there were the Sacco and Vanzetti trial, for example, and others, you know, uh, it suggested that even back then there were problems with occasional, you know, troublemakers coming in from Europe, anarchists and the like. But by and large, it wasn't deemed an issue that was any kind of threat to national security. And why? Because. Most people knew if you wanted to go to the land of the free and the home of the brave, if you could get the money together, yeah. you know, to to, to get passage across the ocean. The opportunity was there,
1: but you had to work for it.
4: The opportunity was there. Unless you already had networks here, you were on your own when you arrived. And yeah, so that was, that was a, a, a tricky thing. So today, a lot of this is being driven by the fact, not all of it, to be sure, but a lot of it's being driven by the fact that, A, we have this massive welfare state, and B we have been building up welfareism and communism abroad willy-nilly. I mean, a lot of these Chinese people that are coming in, I think, are very sincere. They're not necessarily Some of them are, are not, but many of them just trying to get out of communist China. Well, who built up communist China in the first place? LDS. Why is it such a mess? Why is Latin America such a mess? LDS. Why is it dominated by socialists? <laughs> Venezuela. And we could go on. So well, we're you, creating the problems you left that out spur the fact this, that you, we're
1: actually fueling it from the Darien Gap and other places. We're literally driving Thanks, guys. After us, the CEO of JBS, Bill Hahn, joins us in another Taking Action installment.
7: Sophia paused before the door. It read, Department of Bi-Digital Convergence. Just inside was a new world, a better world, the one of everlasting life, of no pain, of no loss, of no problem. She entered the chamber and her surroundings changed. She saw around her an infinite field of waving golden grain surmounted by cloudless blue sky. The AI voice whispered gently in her mind, welcome to the singularity. She couldn't see it and couldn't feel it, but her body had almost instantly been covered by a swarm of tiny gray multi-legged bots that melted through her clothes and into her skin. Not perceiving the nightmare, her eyes had already been consumed and the rest of her body was dissolving as the bots digested her flesh. She felt only a warmth suffusing her being. Drowsy, she drifted to sleep and her last thought was one of panic. Would she ever wake? Could a nightmare vision like this be an outcome of the much-hyped transhumanist technological singularity? Enter the world of the future as illuminated by the experience of the past in Endgame, the new book by Dennis Barrett, the publisher of The New American Magazine, and find out how the disastrous COVID pandemic response fits with the technocratic elite's thirst to create a transhumanist utopia. Get Endgame from shopjbs.org with free shipping with code ENDSHIP, E-N-D-S-H-I-P. Or get Endgame and the Great Reset Collector's issue of The New American Magazine and get free shipping plus an additional 20% off both with code N20, two zero.
1: For more news and in-depth analysis from The New American Magazine, the kind that you will not get anywhere else, make sure you have a subscription to our twice-monthly print edition of the magazine. No other magazine has been as accurate and for as long about where policy and culture were heading then The New American. You can subscribe online at thenewamerican.com. Just hit the magazine tab on top, and then on the drop-down, hit the subscribe button. Or, if you prefer, you can call for a subscription. Call 1-800-727-8783, Monday through Friday from 8 to 5 Central Time. That's 800-727-8783. Welcome back, folks. So I have with me the CEO of the John Birch Society, Bill Hahn. Hi, Bill Hahn. Hey, welcome. It's so wonderful to always have you on. We, we discussed quite a few important issues here. The most, uh, of course, the border, mm. which m- many consider the most important issue that the United States is, is dealing with now. But with so many others, it's hard to tell what, what it is. But anyway, um, what are people, uh, what are viewers and, and listeners to do? What kind of action can we tie into uh, what we just discussed, the border crisis, the impeachment? all those, all those things that are happening.
3: Yeah. Thanks Paul. Well, absolutely. We, we there's, there's so much that, uh, you know, the average American can, can, can do, but unfortunately there, we are so inundated with, um, you know, news 24 seven. I mean, goodness sakes, it almost seems like it's 20, 25, uh, eight. Yeah. Right? I mean, there's, there's, there's just so much the stuff world's that, that moving gets too fast. Man. Yes. Yes. And it, you know, each generation, it gets worse and worse, you know, as, as far as that goes. Uh, but you know, the founding fathers expected us, to be informed on the most important issues of the day, and to then obviously use uh, the constitutional tools that they gave us to, you know, help to uh, continue this great experiment of freedom. And we cannot do that if we do not enforce our borders. And really, with well, we cease
1: to be a country. Then. Exactly,
3: I am just going to say, without borders, we have no country, right? But as as Steve had had, had alluded to in the in the previous segment that this is actually, you know, by design. This is, this is more, you know, of a, of a, of a globalism uh, kind of tactic. Yes. So when you, when you look at, um, do a little study of, of, of the world as far as their rise in governments and, and how much uh, control that they, you know, have taken over from, you know, from the people over the years, uh, you will see uh, a rise of, of regional governments. So the European Union is, uh, you know, the, the greatest example uh, that we can think of right now. And um, you have seen the the transition of of, of power more into these these unaccountable uh, regional commissions. Okay, so the European Commission being being the one there, and we look at uh, other areas that are they being pulled together like that too across across around the globe. Uh, now they tried this with the with the North American Union yeah, yeah. Uh, back about twelve years ago or so, and Just those
1: perchers got in the way. Absolutely,
3: yeah. So you talk about taking action. Um, keeping an eye out, you know, for for these kinds of initiatives and doing what you can in, in your local communities plays a big part in stopping that that yeah. globalist juggernaut.
1: Yeah. Okay. I mean, do you, why don't you take a minute to explain that? Because there may be folks listening who are not aware, but I mean, this was maybe over a decade ago, but we created these alliances and we went at it and we informed. It sounds like now I'm doing your job. Go ahead.
3: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's great. Uh, yeah, as, as a matter of fact, uh, there was there was a push for the uh, North American community, mm-hmm. as uh, written by uh, Robert Pastor, who is a, a veteran uh, member of the uh, Council on Foreign Relations, uh, who, who passed away here a number of years ago. Uh, but at the time, uh, that was that was the the great idea was to you know pull together uh, Mexico, Canada, and the United States into a North American yeah, community basically, yeah. Mm-hmm. And so when you when you when you look that up and see okay, so what really does that mean? Um, it talks about uh, having a common perimeter okay, around the uh, the continent, and we are looking at then having uh, a free flow of goods uh, and services and people across what used to be borders yeah. of these of these countries. Okay, uh, so basically getting rid of any kind of uh, identity, cultural um, will be
1: free flow of, of transportation between the two. Transportation. Yeah. Uh, so goods, Hope, services, mm-hmm.
3: people. Yep. Um, you know, and on one level, that's not a, it's not a bad thing to to institute as far as trade goes. Okay. But obviously from a standpoint of rule of law that really breaks down, uh, the, the, the American system of, of government. Yeah. Um, and it's, 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 it's terrible to think of, but, but even, to the point of, of uh, detriment because we are now seeing then, of course, uh, the open borders that we've had, you know, for, for quite some time. And let's remember that the northern border is just as bad or, or you know, we just, we we don't hear about that at all. Well, but is it's it really just coarse. as
1: bad? Because I don't,
3: I can't imagine
1: that's the case because they have, I mean, 300,000 people came across on the southern border. As,
3: as far as it being open. I don't necessarily oh. mean about the number, oh, okay, of, number okay, okay. of people coming through, right. okay? But there is that potential of mm. having people, you know, come through there. Now, granted, uh, the landmass and whatnot that comes up from from Central America, I mean, that's obviously a little easier to to come through. Rather than, than trying to, you know, come through, uh, you know, northern Canada. That yeah, would be yeah. A, you know.
1: And there, there's obviously in Canada, there's only like 40 million people. Most of them are already On the citizens there. Yeah. there or whatever. But yeah. they have. I have seen that. Uh, anyways, yeah. so let, let's. What, what can people do about this border invasion and the related impeachment that came as a result? What What, what do we
3: suggest, Bill? So, so basically, what we had done back then is to uh, empower the, the the people with with education. Uh, let them know, really, what the the initiatives are uh, You know of, of these globalists out there. They want to end the American system of, mm-hmm. of government. They want the, to end their way of life. Absolutely. And Chip yeah.
1: Roy recognizes this. I played a clip from him last week where he says, that's the goal here. So mm-hmm. once people realize that, then they might be spurred to action. What kind of action would you yes, suggest? Yes,
3: absolutely. So in the John Birch Society, we, we do this on a, on, a, on a local basis. So we have uh, member chapters uh, that are, again, lo- locally organized. And We asked them to take, take this information, and I see you've got a, a couple of, of, of examples of the New American magazine in front of you. Well, this is one we did. We called it
1: March 2022, uh, yeah. Border Breakdown, Treason, Not Incompetence. Apparently, That's we're right. ahead of the curve as usual.
3: Yes, well, and and we've had many of those uh, throughout the years. You know, I know you guys have had uh, Bill Jasper on, um, you know, and talking about the, the illegal uh, in- invasion. Um, and he reported uh, on in invasion. the late eighties, right? That's really? right. Something yeah, like that. Yeah. 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 Late seventies, early eighties, you know, when all this stuff started to, you know, really come through. So it's a matter of, of, uh, you know, doing a kind of a, you know, waking the town with, with this information, mm. getting them organized, um, and going out and, and helping to raise a level of awareness so that not only are they raising the level of awareness then among the, the electorate, but also then they're going to be creating that pressure uh, to get their elected officials to act. And we could be looking at, obviously, um, creating pressure in the halls of Congress, but also creating pressure on the state legislature uh, Mm. side of things, but also then having local legislature, uh, local government get involved from a standpoint of, okay, so can we then pass resolutions to get the state to act, to get the Congress to act? Um, And then, of of course, um, making sure that the ordinances, the laws that we have uh, locally are strong enough then to to support, um, you know, uh, basically uh, pushing or repelling some of this some of this invasion, you know, away, removing some of the incentives. Uh, that's that... well, and uh, that's on the right. So that's on the federal level. That's on the state level too. Uh, removing th- those incentives. Uh, you know, President Trump had had said that you know we, he under him, he would push for having the largest deportation in history. Okay, well um, how do you do that? It's, it's not over. not packing them
1: in trains and rolling them out.
3: And it's, it's not really hard. Mm. You, you, you just mentioned it. You take away the, the incentives and there are plenty that come from, you know, the federal government. And of course, uh, there, there are so many that happen on the state level too that we don't necessarily yeah. see, right? There was just a recent headline that came out with California. Uh, they're, they're putting out $53 million to give just to illegal aliens. It's
1: insane. Okay. Yeah. So
3: why wouldn't, People want to come across that border in hopes. It's a
1: magnet. You basically put yes. a magnet. You put a target in the yes. state.
3: Yes, absolutely. But yet we've got good people, even even that work for us. In California. Okay? Well, <laughs> in in I mean, for the for the John Burr Society, uh that are having to go through, you know, legal means. And so, you know, we're helping them through all of the mm, all of these yeah, hurdles. Man. Okay. But yet you know, we we equipped well, goodness sakes, maybe it'd be a whole lot easier and a lot cheaper just, just to go, you know, down to Mexico and, and come back up. Yeah, you know, it's it's insane to think about, but it, that's that's it's a that's, sat, that's where, that's, yeah, it's a sad state of affairs, and that's where we're at today, Yeah, you know. So, but getting involved, going to JBS.org, taking a look at uh, the, the action projects that we have there.
1: We have one in, in mass migration. Absolutely, yes. We have lots of yes. information. Yes. We have ways that you can get in touch with your legislator. Thank you, Bill Hahn, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in to another episode of New American Daily. Remember to visit newamerican.com for more truth behind the news, and please join us again tomorrow.